We've been in this series called Forward in Faith, and we're learning what it means to be a true disciple, a follower of Christ. And, and I, I want you to notice we're not just hurrying through this. And some of it is a little repetitive because not everybody is here every week. And, and sometimes you need to hear things more than once for it to stick with you. But we're using the word forward as our outline. And, and so far we've talked, preached on how, what it means to follow Christ, to, what it means to obey Christ and the necessity of obeying him because we love him. And then, now we've been teaching for several weeks, weeks on how, how to reach out to others for Christ. Uh, as Christians, we're called to share his life with others. Uh, but to do that, listen, here's, here's kind of what I'm going to share today. To share the life of Christ with others, you must first share your life with them. Get this down. My sermon today is called Life Givers. Life Givers. Can I see that slide? I wanted to see that slide myself. I cannot tell you how many hours I spend on, on these PowerPoints sometimes. <laughs> and I'm just proud of that one, so I, I wanted to look at it. I never get to see it. I never get to see it myself. So... Uh, <laughs> I like it anyway, but uh, <laughs> I'm preaching on life givers. And my, my text is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Last week, I, I preached about how we are all ministers. We, are all, we all have a ministry. We all have something to give. So how can we give that? How can we minister to those around you? Uh, I'm going to equip you to do that today because in our culture, uh, usually we've got to share life with somebody before they are open to us sharing the gospel with them. It's rare today that people come to Jesus apart from a relationship with a person. Well, you, you think about even the great crusades, Billy Graham crusades, Harvest crusades. Think about those crusades that reach uh, hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people online or whatever. The people that come to those crusades, the, the vast majority, majority of them are brought by a friend, brought by a family member. So there's somebody in relationship that, that, that invited them to come there. So the key in ministry is sharing our lives with people, listen, then sharing the gospel. See, in our families, in our families, we need to learn how to share life with each other. In the life of the church, we need to learn how to share life with each other. It's the key to unity, to maturity, to growth. It's a key to discipleship, sharing life with each other. So how do we share our lives with each other? What can we give each other? How do we share lives? Well, today I'm going to talk about, uh, teach you four ways that you can determine how to share life with others, how to minister. When I'm talking about sharing life today, I'm not just talking about going over to their house or going out to eat or, or, or having a fellowship. That is part of sharing your life with them. I'm talking about how to minister life to them. You with me? Three of you. Y'all with me? Okay. We discern how to minister life to others by asking four questions. Four questions. And as you're ministering to somebody, as you see people in need, these are four questions that, that, that you can ask to, to determine and discern. How do I minister to them? And these principles will equip all of us to be life givers, to minister the life of Christ to those around us in the church, in our families, in the world. Here's the first thing we do. We give life to others by removing aloneness. Now, this may be something new to you, but I want you to understand the first crisis was the first human crisis was not sin. It was aloneness. 
Sin did not enter the world until Genesis 3. But in Genesis 2.18, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. God created everything. He called it good. But one day he looked down and said, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. According to God, aloneness is not good. If God says something is not good, it's not good. Some people say, I'm a loner. I'm a loner. I don't need anybody else. Not good. Because you know what? It's not all about you. Maybe somebody else needs you. Maybe somebody else needs something that you have. Maybe somebody else needs something you can give to them. We've got to get out of ourselves. If we're going to ever minister to other people, we've got to get out of ourselves and see, see needs in other people and see loneliness in other people. I know we've taught, we've all taught, you know, God is all you need. We sing songs, God is all you need. But, but really it's not true because God designed us to have other needs. He ultimately meets all our needs. But he decided to meet some of those needs, a lot of those needs, through other people. When you have a financial need in Ukraine, you call on God, and you call on the people of God. Money's not going to just float out of heaven. You're not going to wake up and all of a sudden there's a million dollars in your bank account. God uses people. We are co-laborers with Christ. And he wants to minister life in us and through us. And Paul said, no part of the body of Christ can say to another part, I don't need you. God designed us to need each other. We need God, yes, and we need each other. And and God wants to use you in meeting other people's needs. So our first priority in meeting people's needs is to remove aloneness. And here's the first question you can ask when ministering to anybody. What aloneness needs to be removed? We tend to see people as fallen, we tend to see them as sinful, but we also need to see them as alone. See, we've got to look beyond their faults, beyond their sins, and and see their need. We used to sing that song, he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. My text today is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke 10, verses 25, 37, where on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how, I mean, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Hmm. Anybody ever do that? Okay. But who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, Jesus responded <laughs> with a, a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you've ever, ever been over there, believe me, you go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's downhill all the way. Be a good place to ride a bike. Not from Jericho to Jerusalem. <laughs> from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Several things the Good Samaritan did here. He saw a person in need. He took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He took him to an inn. He gave money for someone to care for him. But it all started with him seeing somebody alone and in need. He was moved with compassion. And hear me, this is a key to ministry. Almost any time Jesus ministered, it says he, moved, he was moved with compassion and he healed them. The key to your ministry is when God is moving you with compassion. And, he, and then he was willing to, to cross the road. The others went around on the other side of the road. This Samaritan crossed the road. And the message to us from Jesus is, go and do likewise. We're in a world full of lonely, hurting people. And, so, and religion can be insensitive and unhelpful as, as it just passes by like the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side of the road. For some reason, they did not stop. Listen, if we're going to minister to somebody, we've got to first of all stop. So easy, so busy. Just Why, why do we not stop? We do, we, we're so busy. We're on a, we're on a, a mission. We, or a lot of times we feel inadequate. I wouldn't know what to do. What am I going to do? Sometimes we just don't care. Sometimes we wonder, what's this going to cost me? Time, money, energy. Whatever reason, there are hurting people that we pass by. Listen, I know you can't minister to everyone, but when your heart goes out to somebody, when that heart of compassion comes, comes on you, uh, you've got to stop and cross the road. Enter into their world. So many times we tell people, just go to God. But God's saying, I sent you down that road to minister to them. God ministers through people. That priest, he may have prayed for the man as he passed by. Lord, I pray for that man. Heal him. The Levite could have shouted scripture to him. You know, be healed. God's only, God's all you need. Only believe. You'll be okay. But true help came from the one who stopped and took the time to meet his need. He stopped. He crossed the road. Listen, now when somebody's laying there on the road bleeding, it's kind of obvious that they have a need. It's harder to see inner bleeding, inner wounds. So we've got to stop, look, and listen. Jesus did that with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man. He was not a believer. He was a tax collector. He cheated lots of people. But when Jesus came to his town, he wanted to see him. He was a very short man. And so he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. We used to sing that song as a kid. I've sang that my whole life. And Jesus was walking by and stopped. Looked up in that tree. Zach, come on down. I want to hang out with you for a little while. What did Jesus minister to first? Aloneness. He didn't first say, Zach, you lousy sinner, get out of that tree, you need to come down here and repent. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down, I want to go to your house. Let's, let's, let's break bread together. It's called the Zacchaeus principle of, of, of ministry. Jesus dealt with aloneness first, then with simpleness. After Jesus spent time with them, broke bread with them, all of a sudden Jesus stopped, I mean Zacchaeus stopped and said, 
man, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back more than I took from them. I'm going to give away half of what I have uh, to the poor. All that happened because Jesus stopped, looked, and listened. And it changed Zacchaeus forever. We've got to look for signs of aloneness, rejection, loss, divorce, grief. We've got to listen for words of aloneness, loneliness, and people's that people say, I just can't go on, I can't do this anymore, I can't make it on my own. Or here's a key, I'm lonely. Doesn't take a lot of discernment there, does it? But we've got to hear their need, and then we've got to simply, listen, here's your first ministry. Get this down. Be there for them. There's a time and a place for speaking truth. We're going to get to that. But sometimes we just need to be there for people. And you might not think aloneness is not a big problem today. Wrong, 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 a thousand times wrong. Even though we are the most connected generation electronically, we are the least connected relationally. And you see every day the rate of suicide, depression, all these things going up because people having hurts and loneliness and don't know what to do with it. God says it's not good to be alone. So we've got to figure out how to minister to people's alone loneliness. How can we communicate care to, to lonely people? Here's how you do it. You take the initiative. You be the one to cross the road. You call people. You reach out to people. Don't wait for them to reach out for, for you. If you ever have this thought, I haven't seen so-and-so in church for a while. I wonder what happened to them. Get on the phone, cross the road, call them. All you got to say is, hey, been missing you. I'm just calling to make sure you're okay. They may say, yeah, I'm fine, but just busy and da-da-da. You say, oh, that's great. I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. Anything I can pray for just that. Listen, that is huge. That is huge. You can do this. Cross the road. Call some people. Minister life to lonely people. Stop, look, and listen, and just be there for them. It's the first ministry you can do is just to be there for them. The second thing the Good Samaritan did was to apply healing to the man's wounds. And this is the second question we ask when we minister to people. What hurt needs healing? What aloneness needs to be removed, what hurt needs healing, and to impart life, injuries must be healed through caring ministry. And and so not only are we surrounded by lonely people, we're surrounded by hurting people. Not physically laying beside the road usually, but they're spiritually and emotionally wounded, and we've got to open our eyes to see them. And after we discover what loneliness needs to be removed, we can ask the Lord, ask the Lord, what hurt needs healing? Jesus came to heal us, spirit, soul, and body. And when Jesus started his ministry, he stood up in a synagogue and read from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and that passage goes on. You ought to read the rest of Isaiah 61. I don't have time to read it. But he talks about families who have been devastated for generations. There's some broken people around us. We are all broken to some degree. And we can help bring healing to other people's broken places. How do we do it? First of all, we've got to understand brokenness. That word broken means to break in pieces, to crush, to hurt. So a broken-hearted person is someone who's been deep, deeply hurt, deeply wounded, usually by something, something that somebody they love said or, or did. 
And we can minister to them like God ministers to them. How does God minister to broken people? First, he removes aloneness. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord becomes close to brokenhearted people. Then, once he removes their aloneness, once he is near to them, then he heals them. Psalm 147, 2 says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. When Jesus, listen, here's how Jesus ministered so many times to people. He got close to them, then he healed them. And he passed that ministry on to us. Get close to people and minister healing to them. And to do that, we've got to recognize pain. For the good Samaritan, it was obvious. He saw where this man's wounds were. Emotional wounds are not so obvious, but we can recognize pain through its expressions. Sometimes there's obvious expressions like grief or, or crying. Sometimes it's less obvious. Uh, uh, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, fear, condemnation, anger. Anger. These are all expressions of pain. Listen to me. Usually when somebody overreacts with anger, it's all pain. It's all pain that has never been dealt with. And just like we need to look beyond their fault and see their need, we need to look beyond their rage and see their pain. Amen. Many times there is pain behind that anger. And we've got to take their wounds and their brokenness seriously. I remember Pastor Deb and I, we used to have this doctor, you remember when we lived in Irving, and I won't call his name, but he, he, he was a bad doctor. He was, he was just, he was, he was rude to his staff. He was rude. I, we left him, obviously, at some point. Um, but he would not take you seriously when you shared a problem with him. He would dismiss your symptoms and dismiss and, and, and downplay everything. I remember Pastor Deb sharing with him one time some things she was going through and, and you know, how it was bothering her. And he was like, that's no big deal. What if you had cancer? It's like... Thanks a lot, Doc. But that's how we respond so many times to people who are bleeding and dying inside. And we downplay their pain, or we try to trump their pain like that. Like, well, that's not so bad. Listen to this. Do you know the Bible actually teaches against that kind of ministry to hurting people? In Jeremiah 8, 10 through 11, the Bible says, From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Ministers were rebuked by God in this passage because they dealt with the symptoms, surface slightly, but not with the deep needs and hurts. The NIV says it this way, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. How many times have we gone to hurting people and said, oh, big deal, that's not so bad. Get over it. You think that's bad? Listen to what happened to me. Here's a horrible one. Shouldn't you be over that by now? Just insensitive comments. At those times, it's better that you just say nothing than to say things like that. Well, we've all done it. I've been guilty of it. But really, when we do that and we try to talk them out of their pain, it really only causes more pain. When we act like it's not real, even if we know maybe in our hearts it's not as big a deal as they think it is right now, we don't say that to them. We, don't, we say, man, I, I'm sorry you're going through that. I'm sorry you're hurting. Can I pray with you? Not trying to talk him out of it. The Good Samaritan 
could not have talked this wounded man out of his pain because he had physical pain, but, but we sometimes try to talk people out of emotional pain, which can be more painful. And sometimes that's why in churches we're not ministering to people as well as we could because we just try to talk them out of their pain. We've got to take their pain seriously and then apply healing to the wound. When Jesus ministered to people, he didn't, he didn't want them to say, oh, I'm not in pain. He said, what's your problem? Well, I, I, I need to see. I, I need to walk. I, I've got this issue of blood. I, I need you to heal it. They had to admit their pain and what they were going through so that he could apply healing to their wounds. And when the good Samaritan stopped for this man who had been robbed, he had compassion. He crossed the road and he ministered to his wounds. What did he do? He applied oil, wine, and bandages. Oil and, and wine were household remedies in that day. Wine was alcohol, was used as antiseptic. To, to cleanse the wound and oil was for soothing the pain and, and both of those are types of the Holy Spirit the oil and, and the wine God wants us to minister to healing to people through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and so we can minister cleansing with them by, by leading them many times in prayers of forgiveness and, and, and to heal their wounds uh, we can bring comfort to them 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You can comfort somebody in any trouble. You don't have to know what they've been through. You don't have to have gone what they have been through. You can comfort anybody who's gone through any trouble with the comfort that God has comforted you with. Do you know what? I looked this word up, comfort. Do you know what it literally means? In the, in the Greek, it's, it's parakaleo. It's the same word we get the word of paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, right? Not parakeet, paraclete. It literally means to come along beside. And then to soothe and encourage. The main ministry of ministering to people's need is to come along beside them and to be there with them. Don't try to shut down their tears. Don't try to shut down their pain. They may cry, but Romans 12 tells us to mourn with those who mourn. We don't just say, don't cry. Big boys don't cry. They're crying. Jesus cried at the, at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus cried. Jesus knew what he was about to do. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't say to them, what are y'all crying about? You don't have faith. You don't know what I'm about to do. He, no, he cried with them. We got to mourn with those who mourn and just be there with them and then speak words of comfort and encouragement. We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So to help people, we've got to cross the road and help with their aloneness, apply wounds to their healing. Then the R stands in care stands for responding to their felt needs. This is the third question. What needs can be met? To impart life, listen, to impart life, felt needs, that's needs they're aware of and feel, must be met before the real spiritual need can be addressed. The good Samaritan man, the good Samaritan didn't just sit down and, and preach to this guy. He didn't preach to him at all. He just met his needs, got him treatment, got him transportation, got him lodging, gave him money, no strings attached. There's no indication that that wounded person ever became a believer. We don't know. But this Samaritan just did it, no strings attached. That's, that's love. And, and Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts in fa is faith expressing itself through love. You can tell people you're believing for them all day long, but what really counts is when you express that faith with love. Yeah. 
And we can tell people that we're Christians all day long about how much we read our Bible and argue doctrine with them, but that needs nothing to them. Few people have been argued into the kingdom of God. We witness with our lives and our love for them. And then our words, secondly. And so meeting people's needs gives us the opportunity to meet their true spiritual need. We know their real need is Jesus. We want to get to there. But sometimes, that's why we do this homeless outreach. Uh, we're, we're feeding people in need. We want to meet their need and then give them Jesus. When we go on mission trips, we build houses we, for people who need homes. And, and when we, we do all these physical things for them, give them food, we meet their needs. And then we give them Jesus. We got to meet their felt needs before we meet their real needs. So look for opportunities when you can minister to people's needs. It could be a time of sorrow like illness, loss of a loved one, a divorce, a broken relationship, a financial difficulty, problems with children, loss of a job. All those things that people need, uh, their needs. Met. Look for times of joy, getting married, having a baby, birthdays, times of promotion or advancement. Use all those times to reach out to people and to be there for them. God chooses to meet needs through other people. And to do that, we've got to cross the road to remove their aloneness. We've got to apply healing to their wounds. We've got to respond to their felt needs. And when we do those three things, it gives us the opportunity to experience the truth of God's Word. Listen, we want to get there. We want to get to the place where we can ask the question, what truth needs to be experienced here? Ultimately, what people need is for us to speak the truth in love to them. They need the truth of God. For that to happen, we've got to know the truth in order to be able to speak the truth in love. But our love is what opens the door to speak the truth to people. Where do we find truth? We know Jesus is the perfect expression of truth because John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth in John 16, 13. The word of God is truth because John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. So we see here that truth is is Christ-centered, spirit-led, and Bible-based. That is truth. That is true truth. And when people are alone or hurting or in need, they need truth. They need a word from God that is relevant to their situation. They need a sent word. What is a sent word? Psalm 107, 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. A sent word is a rhema word from God, a now word, a spirit-led word for that specific person in that specific situation at that specific time. How does God send his word to people in need? Well, he can speak audibly. He can speak through dreams. He can speak any way he chooses, but most of the time God speaks through people like you and me. God wants to speak his word through us. That's why you need to memorize some scripture. When Jesus tempted the, uh, when Jesus tempted the devil, when the devil tempted Jesus, get the tempter straight here, when, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He spoke word. He didn't have to go find a scroll and, and unroll and say, I know it's in here somewhere. I know it's in here somewhere. He had the word hidden in his heart. Amen. You've got to have the word hidden in your heart and have it, have it dwell in you richly uh, so you have something to, to speak at that moment so the Holy Spirit can bring it to you remember. But listen, you can do this. When you have the word of God living in you, when you have Jesus ever interceding for you, when you have the Holy Spirit empowering you, you can give life to people. How? Cross the road. Minister to their alone, uh, aloneness. Apply healing to their hurts and their wounds. Respond to their 
felt needs and then lead them to experience the word of God and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God wants to use you to be a life giver, to impart his life through other people in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the truth and I'm sticking with it. So what's God saying to you? Listen. Listen close. I'm going to take a couple minutes overtime here, but listen close. We are going to see a revolution in this church. A good one. In the way we minister, in the way we do things, and we're going to figure out how each and every one of us, including you, You hear me? Nobody's hearing me. Y'all don't want to wait a minute. What are you saying, Pastor? We're going to figure out the way that you can minister the life of Christ to other people in the church. I'll tell you where to start. Start in your family. Listen, parents, there's some lonely kids out there these days they may spend their life on their phone but many of them are very lonely and hurting parents I know it's hard I know it's hard I know they don't want to talk I know you're going to sit down and say how's how's it going they're going to say good what'd you do today nothing how was school alright what'd you learn yeah I forgot thanks for communicating can't let that go. You've got to be a parent and you've got to press in a little bit. Maybe figure out a different way to ask the questions. But you've got to be a safe place for them to begin to open up. Pray with them. Be there for them. Be there for each other as spouses. And then be there for each other in church. I, I already gave you one way you can be. A, it's a ministry call somebody you're missing. That, that is huge. For me to call them is one thing, but they know, hey, I get paid for doing that. You know, that's I'm doing my job. But if you call them, that, to me, that means a lot more. And here's another thing you can do. Don't just walk into church, sit down, enter the service, worship, get up, and leave without ever touching, crossing a road and touching anybody. Listen to me. Listen to me. I do my best every Sunday to touch as many of you as I can. To greet you. To greet you in your language. So I'm saying, hello, hola, droma, que do, privet, g'day mate. For our Australian media person, I'm, I, 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 I'm trying, I, I learned their greeting. But it just shows that I care about you. I try to learn as many names. It's not easy for me. People think, man, Pastor Joe knows everybody's name. I work at it. I, I work at it because I care. I want to encourage you. I know there's Sundays you've got to rush off. But every Sunday? Can you sometimes just hang out for a minute and just go up to somebody, cross the road, Here's how you do it. Hey, I'm Joe. What's your name? 
I'm Bob. Bob, great to meet you. Where do you live? I live in Arlington. Hey, I live in Arlington too. Where are you at? How long have you been coming to church here? Don't ask them, are you new here? Because they're going to say, I've been here 17 years. Where have you been? You know? <laughs> I'm just giving you some practical ways. Meet some people. The Bible says to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. We're in overtime now. We're in overtime. This is, this is money time right here. But I'm really trying to help you. I'm trying to equip you. Now, don't just walk by me when you leave today with your head down. And if you can, wave at me anyway. But I, I love you. And I'm going to try to my best to touch you every, every week. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. Amen? Amen. You can do this.